Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Out of Curiosity, where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. My name is Cameron, and I am joined by the... What's, what's a good adjective for this guy? The... <laughs> Oh, that's a that's a terrifying prospect to say. Wrestling. What adjective would people use about? You know what? I the- want you wherever you're listening. Pull over your car, pause the podcast, and email us. What is your preferred adjective for Garland Autry? And I commit to using oh, that man. adjective on the next episode. That would be it'd be fun to just do if one bucket positive, one bucket <laughs> negative, and see where the see which one would weigh more at the end of that one. <laughs> I have my bets. I can tell you that much. We'll let the people decide. Um, <laughs> well, hey, we are, uh, it's, it's another heavy one. Our question is this, is violence ever okay for a Christian? Should Christians, are Christians ever justified in the use of, we might call, we might say violent force um, against other people? And it's it's a perennially uh, live topic because we live in a world where uh, e- even if you're insulate, if you feel a little bit insulated in, say, um, you know, a relatively affluent American suburb or whatever, uh, you're still going to encounter it from time to time. Um, you're going to encounter it in the news, uh, and that news as well reminds us that most of the world is like embroiled in incredible violence almost all the time. Um, if you're one who doesn't personally encounter it often, you are uh, in in a minority. Um, we're sitting here right after uh, the mass shooting in Maine that's just taken place. Um, we're we're sitting here after uh, Hamas's attack of Israel and and the gearing up conflict that's happening there in Gaza. Um, we, it's just everywhere. And and this podcast, we want to be very clear, is not reacting to those events. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, gosh. Who knows? Even as we're recording this, some some well, what we know is some horrific tragedy is happening, and we may or may not hear about it um, in our sort of mainstream news, uh, even right now as we're recording this. So it's live, it's pervasive, uh, and it's really hard. It's so complicated. Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee that this episode will not be satisfying <laughs> to, to almost anyone. It's yeah. um, <laughs> a good start for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's at least drop the bar as low as <laughs> yeah, we can. Just, um, if you're looking for satisfaction, you can just click off now. Go yeah. On. Here's the hard thing. We've had this one on the, you know, to your point, we've had this one on on the, you know, the, the list to do for for a while now. And here we are coming to the time to do it. And uh, it, it just, it, it brings up the idea that there's no time to do this that doesn't seem reactionary. Because last, last night, as we're recording this, today is the... 26th of October. Uh, this will come out, I'm sure, in a few weeks or whatever. Last night was the main shootings. And I knew we were going to be recording this today. And as I thought about it, I thought, well, should we not, you know, given the timing, should we not record this? Will it will it, will it seem reactionary to that? And then, then my next thought was, well, this tragically is too frequent to, to these are too frequent of occurrences. Yeah. Uh, we'll never be able to record it um, because of just what we see in our world. And uh, I guess we'll also have to, before we dive in, look at passages in a minute, um, we'll also have to recognize that the world that Jesus walked in, the world Jesus lived in, was a world uh, ruled by uh, a, an empire that uh, had a lot of really uh, good things it brought to the world, the Roman Empire. Um, but it did a lot of those good things on the back of 
a great deal of atrocities, yeah. as empires always do, yeah. and uh, as global world superpowers always do. And so slavery and violence and execution and crosses and war and bloodshed and conquest, and uh, that's the world that Jesus grew up in. <laughs> that's the world uh, that Jesus lived in, and ultimately— and maybe uh, horrifically, shockingly enough, I know it's familiar, but we can almost sometimes forget it. That's the very world that caught up with Jesus, and he was put on an executor's uh, an executioner's cross. And we sometimes, I think, because of familiarity, especially Jesus followers, can just forget that uh, the violent, humiliating, shameful death that Jesus experienced. Uh, we can sometimes almost be numb to it and just forget. Um, uh, you know, what that was, what that meant in the ancient world. Um, w- w- when we see things like that today, people uh, publicly, violently executed to make a point, we normally shudder. Um, and I think sometimes we can be, we wear crosses, you know, as jewelry. And every time I see that, especially from somebody that's that uh, maybe not even claims to be a Jesus follower, they're just, it's just sort of something to do or wear. I always, uh, it always upsets me almost a little bit because we just, we don't think about that. Um, so we really have come out of the gate strong here and, uh, this is a heavy one, uh, before we even dive in. And so, um, again, you're correct. I think this there, we're going to leave a lot of, uh, stones unturned. We're just fair, fair warning you on this one. Um, and so there's going to be some really hard questions. I think that this will bring up and, uh, I don't have a good answer for those questions. And, but I think this does gives you, it gives you something to have to maybe think through, uh, and 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 maybe a particular lens by which you'll have to maybe make some uh, some of those other decisions on some big questions. So, uh, we we go back to the beginning. I think looking at the story of the Bible, uh, God, you know, God designs a world, creates a world, uh, and fills it with His goodness and beauty. And the the idea for humanity, we're given a really cool job, a really cool vocation, which is to experience God's goodness, to walk with Him to, to uh, experience that generosity of God and then to take it out into the rest of the world. Um, that's the, the mandate, the job description for humanity is what we're supposed to do and be. And it's got, a, it's got a great, amazing high calling, and it comes with a responsibility. And we see in the story of the Bible um, that humanity, instead of uh, receiving what God had offered to us, we decided to take. We wanted to take uh, power happiness to find terms on our own hands and our, on our own terms. And, uh, we call that the, uh, we call that sin. We call it the fall of the Bible. And it's not, maybe, maybe it shouldn't surprise us, but the very next story in the Bible after, you know, the, the fall of Adam and Eve, you know, the garden story, it, maybe it shouldn't surprise us. The very next story is the violent murder of one brother to another. Uh, like that's how the Bible opens. Here's what you're supposed to be. Here's what you're called to be. And here's what you've become. Here's what you've made this world into. Not, not just a few verses later, we have Lamech bragging about uh, his mass vengeance. Yeah. Some people say they killed their seven. I've killed 70, bragging about victory and conquest and death. It seems to be the way of humanity. It seems to be uh, uh, what sin does to us. And as we approach a question like this, we're going we're gonna to go back to an episode that we recorded a, a few episodes back. Uh, I think we called it... Um, does the Bible or can the Bible inform modern ethics? I think was the name of that episode. And we said at the very end of that one, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. Um, We said at the very end of that one that that episode becomes a 
a grid, we might say. It's, a, it's a, a strategy for looking at questions like this, ethical questions, uh, and determining answers to it. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen. And we're going to be channeling a scholar who wrote a very, very fascinating book um, called The Moral Vision of the New Testament. It's by a scholar named Richard Hayes, a uh, New Testament scholar. And uh, his, his methodology, his grid, is just really, really helpful. And his grid is this. We start with... Um, the exegetical work. Exegetical means we get into the texts themselves. What did Jesus say according to the gospel writers? Or what does Paul say? And we look at those texts and take them seriously. Then we have to do the synthetic work. That's reading across the pages of the New Testament. If we want to see a, a, a moral vision of a moral, uh, you know, maybe a moral imperative, and we want to answer that according to the New Testament, well, we start with text, then we read across the pages of the New Testament. Then the hard thing, the hard thing is, this is where we're going to leave a lot of stones unturned. We have to bring that, this is called the hermeneutical, the, the, the hermeneutical task or the interpretive task, we might say. How do I interpret that moral vision in my world? I, I usually call it crossing the bridge. I've got to go from that world on their side of the bridge, first century Roman world, to my world, you know, 21st century American world. And then the last, the last task is the practical one. Just now what? What does that look like? Uh, and in this one, uh, we're going to look at a hand, uh, just a, a few passages, and many of them are famous. I'll have you read them, so go ahead and get, get uh, your Bible ready if you got one. Um, we're going to start with the words of Jesus uh, and, 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 and go to a, a famous passage. But this is going to, I think, tee up for us this picture of the moral vision of the nonviolent Christian response to violence and oppression. Um, when we ask a question, is violence ever okay for a Christian? That's an impossible question to answer. What we might begin with, though, is saying the, the moral vision in the New Testament is for Jesus' followers, his community, to respond nonviolently even to the most wicked aggression and, and uh, persecution or oppression. Where are we getting that? Okay, let's start here with Jesus. Matthew chapter five, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus, he is something, in, in somewhat of a new Moses, giving a new law to the people of Israel, and by extension, any who would come and follow him. Matthew records Jesus, just like Moses, you know, giving instruction on a hill, on a mountain, um, giving them the ethic, the picture of what, kingdom living looks like. Uh, and there's a lot of you know, debate on how to interpret the Sermon on the Mount, but at its essence, that's what, it, that's what it's doing. And most Christians would acknowledge then in that kingdom, in that announcement of that kingdom, with that vision of the kingdom, it also then applies to those that follow him as king, including you know, non-Jewish Christians like you and me. Uh, what does he say to, to, in regards to this question? Matthew 5, and read for me, uh, it's a lengthy section, chapter, uh, chapter 5, 38 to 48, that whole section, sure. all 11 verses. Okay, this is from the uh, New American Standard Bible. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so there's a lot in there, obviously. Um, but if we take the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teaching, and we, and we apply that as his vision for the city on a hill, what is his kingdom supposed to look like? There's not a lot of wiggle room in there. I mean, what Jesus presents is in the face of even hostile oppression, this, this, all these, these concepts of uh, those who would slap you and those who would take, make you go uh, a mile, a lot of this is in the context of a situation where you have Roman oppressors who can do and force you to do certain things and they can mistreat you. In response to all of that, Jesus gives commands like, do not resist, turn the other cheek, give to them even if they've taken from you, um, pray for them, love your enemy. Um, it, when you read the passage, uh, Jesus seems radically committed to a different way to be human. When humans, um, when humans say, I will get mine, you take from me, I'll mu I must take, for you, take from you, it necessarily creates the, all the stuff that started this episode, all this pain and hurt and violence that we see in our world. And I think Jesus came offering a way to do life that would be upside down from everything else in the world. Um, and part of that is the way that we respond even to hostile aggression. Um, and so we're going to have to start there um, with just the picture of Jesus. Then when we consider the nature of Jesus as he demonstrates this, it is very, I, I think it's maybe, maybe, maybe apparent to most, maybe not. It seems that at many turning points in the Gospels that Jesus at least has ways out of the violence that's committed against him, mm. namely the cross the beating in the cross that he experiences in, in Jerusalem, it seems as if he's got some ways out. He could run. Um, he, can, uh, he could probably uh, tone, tone some things down. He could just avoid Jerusalem that week. And yet, uh, and if, of course, if he's, uh, if he's the son of God, he probably has power, potency Miraculous to stop it on his power. own. Yeah, he could do many things. And, and in fact, uh, he will even say at one point, uh, I could call angels down. Um, like I could make angels come and stop this. Um, and yet, when we see Jesus staring down, uh, violent, oppressive, um, torturing, and eventually execution, it's, a non, it's an unjust, um, horrific tragedy but he does not respond violently. He actually models what we just read in the Sermon on the Mount um, in a way that is, of course, we, we believe atones for our sin, but in a way that sets the pace for us of what radical nonviolence looks like. Um, he says it in Matthew 5, and you go, well, that's a, hard, that's a high bar to, to jump across. How far would he want me to go? And then we read at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he lays his life down for his people. Yeah. Um, that's how far. And so with just Jesus, the model of Jesus and the words of Jesus, his words and actions, uh, our bar is already very high. Now, before we go forward, any, you know, you're hearing this, uh, you know, we don't talk about these before, objections, responses, issues with that? No, I mean, I think if you want Jesus's teaching for his followers on this, we went to the right place. This is the Sermon on the Mount, his hallmark teaching, uh, and it's it's expressed in very clear terms. And so you and I both have all the, well, what abouts and what in this situation and what about in this sphere, as I imagine 
uh, a lot of our re- listeners are already jumping to. We we know, like, man, yeah, <laughs> so many questions. But we we have to at least start here and say this is a simple, actually, <laughs> and direct and clear teaching of our king, who is our king, who sets the terms for his kingdom, therefore sets the terms for what faithful obedience to his vision of life looks like. And th- this is it. And mm-hmm. out of the gate, I have to say, like, there's so many places where I'm like, this makes me really uncomfortable. It makes me nervous. It makes me re- aware of what cans of worms this opens. How, frankly, like, unlivable this sounds in a world like ours. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to say out of the gate, like, that's what I feel every time I read this. I feel like I have failed the standard in the vast majority of times that I've been put to it. And yet we have to be honest about this is what Jesus says. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of want to na- name it. You know, I feel that same way. You and I both feel that way. And and yet you and I, and, and we should be grateful for this, like I haven't actually experienced anything that would arise yeah. at a level yeah. of intense violent persecution. And many people do um, in our world today. And many do for their faith in Jesus, even. Uh, and so now let's do some, that's just one of the exegetical pieces. Now let's look synthetically. Let's look across the pages. Um, when we consider, okay, how did Jesus' followers pick this up? What did they do with this? I'll just, we'll just give a couple. Go to Romans 12. Um, Romans chapter 12, and we'll pick this one up in verse 14, and we'll kind of we'll pick and choose a couple of verses from Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verses 14, and then 16 uh, and uh 17 to 21, and I'll read this one. So we're kind of in a couple different places, but it's all coming out of Romans chapter 12. Here it is. Uh, You can almost hear Jesus in this. (laughs) So um, the apostle Paul probably never met Jesus, but he's picked up from the community of Jesus' followers. This is an important uh, moral vision for them, and it's so important that he almost sounds word for word uh, from what we just read from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Paul writing in about 25-ish years later to the church in Rome. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought, uh, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right. Now we have a synth, we're looking synthetically. And again, I don't see in this uh, all my but what ifs or but what abouts. I actually see, again, this same moral vision on display here. Uh, go, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, uh, and read for me 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Okay. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter will continue after that. That's the setup. And then later on, again and again and again in that in the letter to First Peter, he will say um, very radical things like, hey, when you are abused... You actually get to be like Jesus. Hey, remember, he was abused. And don't be surprised at it, but don't repay. Do you like, Be like Jesus. He commands us to look to Jesus, who when he experienced unjust violence, responded 
by praying for his enemies and blessing them. And Peter continually points us again and again to that. Just one more, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 32. Hebrews says this, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partakers with those so treated. For you had compassion on those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possessed something better and more lasting. We can go on and on. The book of Revelation, again and again and again, will speak to those who are uh, to the point of death, martyred, killed, because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus, and yet they refuse to we might say, take up the beast's form of power and fight fire with fire. Um, they have a lamb style of power. Uh, Jesus is the lion who is also the slain lamb. And again and again and again in Revelation, the moral imperative is, is, is for Jesus' followers to, uh, <laughs> to take up lamb power, sacrificial love kind of power. Um, and so there's a couple of things that we might say in, in response to this. I think oftentimes the objection goes something like this. Well, what about... Jesus talking about grabbing a sword, uh, or I came to bring yeah. not peace, but a sword, passages like that. And we could, we could look into those um, if that would be helpful. But oftentimes, uh, I think that uh, what he has in mind there is, is something, it's maybe a symbolic use. He probably means division. So like the, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. That's how Matthew translates it. In Luke's gospel, he actually, he actually describes it as division, not a sword. And so Luke probably clarifies uh, what maybe is, Opaque in Matthew is it? Does he mean? Does he mean take up a physical sword? Um, ironically enough, when Jesus at, at his arrest he says to his disciples, um, "You need to buy your cloak and get a sword." And I think there's an there's an example where people often go, "Okay, there's a there's a passage that that means Jesus wants us to get you know grab our weapons and get ready." Um, now we got to see the irony in this. Luke is loading this up with irony. He probably what Jesus is doing there probably is like. The other example, you need to get ready for division. Like this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a difficulty. You're going to experience division when you follow me. And I think we can see his irony. It's in Luke chapter 22, this, this famous passage where Jesus says, uh, you know, sell your cloak and buy a sword. And here's the irony. Within a matter of verses, just, just a few verses later, so uh, that's Luke twenty two thirty six. 36, in Luke 22, 47 and 49, when Jesus is arrested, the disciples go, uh, ooh, ooh, uh, we got our swords. Do you want us to use them? The, 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 the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and the disciples are real proud. They have said, they, they heard Jesus say, um, you know, buy, buy the sword, you're going to need a sword. They go, look, we've got swords. And then when the uh, soldiers come to arrest Jesus, they go, look, we got our swords. This is right. Uh, should we use them now? And Jesus uh, not only does he uh, instruct them not to, but when the soldier is attacked by one of his disciples, uh, Jesus res restores his, uh, his wound and rebukes the disciple for doing it. Um, we actually have in the middle of all that Jesus looking at them when they show their swords and he goes, this is my paraphrase, he goes, man, that's enough, enough of yeah. that, come on. That, so I think that we're supposed to see the irony in that. Uh, following me will cause division, it will make them want to arrest or persecute or hurt you. Respond to it like I do. Um, and what we see is him restoring even the soldier that comes. And so that, the, the action of Jesus actually, I think, clarifies the earlier statement of Jesus uh, in that passage. It makes it, I think, a little easier to, to figure out what he's doing there. We've got to see the irony. Um, so what, what might we say? Our question is, is violence ever okay for a Christian? And I think you know, that's probably how it's normally asked. Let me, let me give an answer that goes something like this. 
Uh, it's hard to answer that question. And, and we'll, we'll give a caveat in just a second. But the moral vision, the clear moral vision of the New Testament, both from Jesus and his followers, both in word and in action, is that Christians would wholly adopt a posture of nonviolence, even in the face of horrific persecution and oppression, unjust of persecution and oppression, that Christians would respond nonviolently. Um, now, we did a couple episodes before on, uh, you know, is a God of judgment a good, uh, you know, a good news for the world? Does it lead and to violence? Those actually would be helpful. Yeah, those would be good episodes as a companion to this one. Here's why. You made the argument in one of those episodes that, and, and Paul says it in this Romans 12 passage, that the only way to adopt that posture is to have a Christian theology that understands that ultimately God will bring justice to the world, and ultimately even our bad, worst things God has sought to restore in Jesus and will. Um, it is only that kind of a hope, only that kind of an understanding that I think enables somebody to truly be nonviolent, to truly respond that way, the recognition that God ultimately will bring justice. So thus, I don't have to take it into my own hands. Um, if somebody's listening to this and you're a skeptic out there, uh, or maybe you're just not a Jesus follower at all, I would, I would actually, uh, I would ask you to answer maybe a really difficult question. If you are committed to nonviolence, um, on what basis, on what basis do you, uh, do you um, see justice coming into the world? On what basis do you have an idea even of justice? How will justice ultimately be, uh, be, uh, be divvied out? Um, what is your hope? What is the basis of your hope for that justice? And frequently, uh, people committed to nonviolence find themselves struggling with it when they actually get down to facing real you know, difficulty and oppression. You, and you pointed that out with that Miroslav Volf quote yeah. at the end of one of those episodes. So um, the clear moral teaching. The clear moral vision of the New Testament seems to be uh, a commitment to nonviolence on the part of Jesus' followers in his community uh, as a way to be that city on a hill. Yeah. Um, now, that, that leaves us with some hard questions. Um, and so let me just ask you, um, how would you, in response to all this, how would you answer or articulate or think through a question like, okay, what if somebody attacks me or what yeah. if somebody is attacking somebody in my family. And let's just, let's just, I think that's the first question, you know, uh, people want to ask on a, on a response to this is, okay, but what about I'm defending someone or I'm defending, uh, someone who's helpless or I'm helping someone. How would you respond to yeah. that? And I'll say, I could very well be wrong on this. This is an, this is an area of, of so much. It's so hard and it's so complex that I, I still very much feel like a novice in working through these issues. Um, and it'll probably be obvious in my response. But to set up an answer to the question, I think you have to put two biblical values in tension with one another. First is everything we've been saying. We respond to uh, aggression with peace and with love. Um, we don't return, you know, violence for violence. But another biblical value is the defense of the defenseless. So I think, I think in, in one way, it's, it's easier to think about if someone's coming at me, I can understand my role is not to um, return the same sort of thing back that they're coming at me with. And that, that's complicated too, how you do that. But then you think about what if someone is coming to attack a vulnerable child, my family, my wife, my kid, my friend, 
uh, what if someone is coming after the vulnerable in society, which uh, across the Old and New Testament seems are near and dear to the heart of God. Specifically, you think about the quartet of the vulnerable in the Old Testament. You think about the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. Um, these are groups that are consistently like Israel was meant to take care of them in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Uh, Jesus says he, he he is bringing good news for these people, and that good news will be expressed as well in earthly terms, in terms of their care. And so that comes through the church, of course. Um, so what happens whenever you are there and you see violence, danger, oppression being brought toward uh, someone that you are meant to care for and stand in the gap for? And I think I think it becomes a little more emotionally challenging and philosophically challenging then. Um, I suppose, and, and this is, here's my answer, and I, I hold it with an open hand, but I, I've, I had a professor that, that st- struck some ground, tried to create some difference, some distinction between two concepts. One was violence and one was force in general. Or you might say violent force that is intended to hurt, to kill, to wound someone else and force that's intended to restrain. And I think, I think you could make a case for something like that. Um, Someone busts into my house with a gun here. And you know what? Cards on the table. Like, of course, I don't know what I'm really going to do in that situation. I know my adrenaline's going to be flaring. Um, I know that what is most precious to me is being threatened. So who knows? Who knows? What I hope in the clarity of this moment is that I would rush to the defense of my family. I don't think that I'm called to just hide out. Well, turn the other cheek. I think I'm meant to step into the gap and defend, defend them. Um, but I don't think my intention is to be, if I'm going to be on, faithfully honoring Jesus here, I don't think I can come in with, they're they on my turf, fair game. I'm going to blow their heads off. I'm looking to kill, right. shoot, shoot to, to kill. kill. Yeah. They've, they've transgressed the boundary. I think what I'm called to do is to use, I think I'm justified, I think, I think, in using force to restrain and to stop them from being able to victimize the vulnerable, um, but not with a vengeance that's like, okay, it's all, all bets are off. Now I get to kill you. I get to murder you. I get to do what you are trying to do to us. I think my, my hope would be a, a restraint that could result in, um, yes, them being stopped, the police coming, you know, taking care of them. And I know that's so cool. What if they have guns? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 that, so there's my principle. There's my principle. And um, I mm-hmm. pray to God that I'm, I'm not in that situation. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where I'm at right now on the question. The best part of the best part of what just happened is I gave I gave you no time, no prep. Uh, I gave you no pre warning that I was going to ask a really difficult question for you, and also a personal question about what you would do. <laughs> and I think actually, I, what you just did is is I think what you just did is why I, it's why I wanted to ask it to you is I think that you just articulated the difficulties that we all will have to walk through in response to Jesus's teaching. Is okay. Let's take an issue and, or a question in this case, somebody rushes in your house or something like that. Um, how would I go about, under the teaching of my king, responding to something like that? How would I frame that? And uh, even just you articulating that and kind of wrestling through it, even on the spot just now, um, I think that's the kind of good thinking 
the kind of careful, hopefully Holy Spirit-inspired, scripturally-based um, way of doing life that we all are called to do. Um, and so, again, I, I don't have a good answer either. Um, and just like you, I usually say, I don't know what I'd do uh, in, in, in the moment. Uh, I don't know what I would do in the moment. Um, this produces other massive questions. Uh, there are soldiers that Jesus blesses and addresses in uh, the Gospels yeah, that seem right. to come to faith in Jesus, Roman soldiers even, and he doesn't look at them and go, well, you know, you can come follow me when you give up your job. Um, this brings up questions about, is it okay for a Jesus follower to uh, be in the military or to be a soldier? And I don't have a good answer for that. Jesus doesn't tell them to quit their jobs. Uh, how would that inform how you did that job? That's a hard question. I'm not, I don't work at the military. I work at a church. And that's a hard question. Well, what about a police officer? Um, and so this is a, I think this is a really important question that I think too often, and, and we're in different parts of the country. Uh, you know, I'm in the South. I'm in a red state. Uh, and there's a whole lot of bluster oftentimes about, um, even for people that are Jesus followers, you know, my turf actually driving, this is, uh, you, you are from here, but I bet this never happens there. I drove down kind of one of our main streets in my town just this morning, coming here to do this recording. And, uh, a guy with a truck with a, a, a Semper Fi flag and a Confederate flag hanging off the back and a gun like a, a shotgun hanging in the back of the truck. And that's not all that unusual. Um, you know, I'm in a part of the world where uh, I think there's a lot of um, sort of braggadocio about, you know, they come on my turf. And, and I think if you're a Jesus follower, you have to, you're going to have to be much more nuanced than that. Um, you're going to have to take seriously the teachings of Jesus. And I think what is interesting is uh, because America has largely um, not had religious persecution, at least against Christians, uh, in, um, you know, in most of its history, I think American Christians haven't had to wrestle with this, yeah. uh, that, that, that much really, if we're being honest. And even the, the, you know, the quote unquote persecution Christians do experience now, it's, you know, it's, it's nothing like, uh, you know, violent persecution almost always that a lot of Christians experience in the world. And so we can, we can almost, uh, dismiss a question like this um, as, oh, you know, it's not important. I know what I'd do. And there are real Christians all over the world right now who are trying to follow Jesus, who this is the most pressing question they have in their yeah. life. And uh, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of going to jail or not. And uh, on their behalf, this is an important question to ask and answer. And uh, I will say just to our, uh, you know, if you're an American listener to this, and it has been you know, it's, it's, you're not experiencing anything like that. Um, the way you respond, the way we respond to a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile towards Christianity, uh, this is going to be some of, these will be some of the principles we'll have to take. And I think this sort of angry, yelling, power grab, uh, in some cases even violent. I mean, there are Christians yeah. that, that have taken up guns and gone and shot people uh, in the name of something they believe in. And I think Christians in America, we're going to have to increasingly learn the way of Jesus on this. Um, and I think sometimes our our vitriol, anger, fighting fire with fire, uh, it, 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 it isn't the way of Jesus. And it betrays in us a fear and an anxiety and an anger and really a, a failure to trust 
uh, what Paul says there in Romans chapter 12, that we do have a good king and he will bring justice, but it's not ours to take and we can yeah. trust him on that. And I know the issues are thorny and I know even the Christians doing that sometimes feel like they're defending the defenseless. Um, but these are the kinds of conversations that I think are important for Christians to have. This is what we do on this podcast is try to help you begin thinking through uh, some of these questions. And again, I don't think either one of us have uh, you know, the point-by-point point answer for these, but this will give us something to think about. Um, I just talked for a while, and uh, what I want to know from you is um, you know, reactions or, or pushback or um, clarification, something that you think would, would, would help somebody listen to this. That's a good question. Um, I don't necessarily feel any pushbacks right now. I think, I think it, you know, where, where, all, where my biggest questions are, and, and this is, I don't know. I almost feel shame admitting this. Like I've already, I already said a version of this, but I think Jesus's teaching in the New Testament ethic is pretty clear. But then whenever you get into the chaos of real world living in the fall life, so much of it just instantly seems untenable. And I, I'm viewing it in my own life as a place where like, I'm just really uncomfortable with the teaching of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's like a discipleship mm-hmm. issue for me where I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I know what he says and that can't be right. You know what I mean? If I'm honest with myself. And so I, I guess I just want to name that. Uh, I want to submit to Jesus. I want to be ready and willing to come under what he says. Um, but I still feel this tension of like, but what about this? What about this? Mm-hmm. Surely there's some other way. And maybe there is. I don't know that, you know, I've got a stack of books I've read on this subject. I've got a stack of books I'd like to read on this subject to keep going deeper. Um, it's just so, so, so hard. Um, mm-hmm. But but it's not the kind of thing that most, you've already said this, most Christians in the world can afford to be like, I'll kind of get there when I get there. You have to make a decision now because uh, mm-hmm. because your child has just been killed. Um, or whatever, like, what, what are you going to do? Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I think I'm being honest that I feel stuck. I feel inadequate. I feel unfaithful in parts of this. Uh, there's some repentance I think I need to do. There's more thinking I need to do. There's more praying I need to do. And I just say, God have mercy. Like we, mm-hmm. we need, we need the Lord's help so desperately mm-hmm. to live as he calls us to in a world that is so, so broken and so full of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. That's my, yeah, that, you're that, getting that's the, my emotional reaction to what. Yeah. You're getting the raw versions yeah. of both of us yeah. in this episode of out of curiosity and good. I mean, that's good. I think you're, you, know, you and I are trying to be disciples of Jesus. And uh, oftentimes it, it is uncomfortable as you were talking, something else popped into my brain. Uh, his teachings on money made me uncomfortable. Yeah. As an American. And I'm gonna, we all, yes, the teachings of Jesus will make us uncomfortable. And I think that acknowledging that uh, and then saying, okay, I wanna be faithful to my king. And I'm right there with you. I feel the same way. Uh, and so I actually really appreciate you sharing that. I think it helps us see that we are, we do wanna be faithful to Jesus as our king. And sometimes, man, 
we don't get it and we're doing our best. Um, and, uh, and I hope that's a good posture. That's, that, that's what we hope is the posture of this entire podcast is we just want to be faithful to Jesus in the Bible, uh, with our script, with our Bibles open and we want to do our best. And, uh, uh, we don't always have the answer. And, uh, I think that's, that's kind of the, the tone and tenor of this podcast, uh, as a whole. And in this episode, especially. So, um, if you've got follow-ups on this one, you know, uh, you know, next step questions, what about, or you just want to process, uh, let us know. Uh, you can obviously, uh, if you know us personally, you can text us or call us, but you can also go to OO Curiosity uh, on Instagram and, uh, and send in a, a message. Let us know uh, if you want to follow up on this one. But uh, we wanted to lay out, you know, the moral vision here for Jesus's teaching on nonviolence. And then, you know, we're going to have some discussions. I think people need to th- think through this. And so we're going to leave it in your hands. Uh, if you're a Jesus follower with, uh, with uh, the spirit of God, the people of God and the word of God to, uh, to guide you. And if you're not a Jesus follower, uh, then Jesus offers a breathtaking and beautiful picture of humanity. And uh, then he goes in and lives it out in a way that's radical. And I would invite you just to maybe, again, if you, if you haven't done it ever or in a long time, just read the, the teachings, the words and actions of Jesus and just, just see what he's about. And uh, it might surprise you. So uh, with that in mind, uh, as always, we thank you for uh, listening and, uh, and joining us on this episode of Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Out of Curiosity. If you found it helpful, please consider leaving us a review and sharing it with a friend. To suggest a topic, reach out to us on Instagram at OO Curiosity. We'll see you next time.